0: Well this morning, uh, as some of you have already asked if we're continuing on in Colossians and yes we are. We're going to finish Colossians chapter 1 today uh, and uh, got through one chapter. So uh, four weeks, one chapter. We're, we're making uh, nice steady progress. So that's what we're going to be continuing. Uh, before we get there, um, I was drawn to be... Th- I was thinking this week about a lot of things. Obviously there was a... Uh, it's been a busy week and... and uh, you know, I, I like to find common ways to relate what we're going to talk about through scripture and in an illustration, or you know, as many pastors do, but I think it's important sometimes that we grasp these concepts and sometimes it helps to see it in a little uh, bigger picture. And I wasn't exactly sure what that was going to be this week until uh, my kids were watching a movie uh, yesterday, actually, while... Uh, while I was working on this, and people were decorating, and they were in the room with me, and they were watching a movie and um, it was a kid 's movie, but there was a plot that comes out of this movie that I started to think about the plot of this movie, and uh, I started to think about other movies and other dramas, whether it 's uh plays, you know skits, whether it 's uh, musicals, whether it's uh, movies or TV shows or even books and I started thinking about this common plot that many of us will see. And if you think about your favorite movies, your favorite books, things that entertain you, the stories that you love the most. Stories. We love stories. And most stories that we love the most are about relationships that have been restored. Uh, You you look at this specific movie my kids are watching, not to endorse it, it was called Sky High. I've watched it once or twice. And but this is the plot of this movie, and this is also the plot of many, especially if you think of dramatic movies, and specifically, if you want to call it chick flicks, the romance movies, there's this common plot that you see that comes up over and over again. What was that? The Hallmark Channel. The Hallmark Channel. That's right. Yeah, just sit down and watch the Hallmark Channel for just a couple hours, uh, and this, you'll see the same show ten times over with just different characters. Um, but here's how it works. Uh, In a typical romance type movie, or in this movie my kids are watching, uh, boy meets girl, or boy is with girl, and and then they decide that they really kind of like each other a little bit, and they start to fall in love, and isn't it wonderful and heartwarming and great, And, and so they start to fall in love, and then... At some point, about halfway through the movie, actually usually about three-quarters way through the movie, you're excited for them, you think that they're going to make it work, they're gonna, their relationship is going to blossom, they're going to go off and live forever, not live forever, but live happily ever after, that's what I meant. And we get to that point, but then about three-quarters of the way in, something happens. Either, either the boy or the girl, usually the guy, makes some kind of drastic mistake, like he says something he shouldn't have said, or he ignores the girl more than he should have. Or sometimes it's not even his fault or her fault. Sometimes uh, people come in and they make an issue out of something that's not even meant to be an issue. Uh, and, and all of a sudden now there's this angst and there's this problem because now the relationship has been broken. Like boy has met girl, boy is, loving, is falling in love with girl, girl is falling in love with boy and then all of a sudden this obstacle comes in the way and there's this rift and then for about 10, 15 minutes of the movie or the, whatever you're watching or reading, it's like there's this tension, right? There's this, oh man, why? They, they were supposed to be in love, but now they can't even stand each other and, and they won't talk to each other. What's going to happen? And I hope you really by now know how this ends. Because um, in every one of these shows, what you end up seeing is after the boy and girl, they're angry with each other. All hope seems to be lost. And then at the very end of the movie with about 10 minutes left, all of a sudden, Either the mistake was forgiven or there was a new understanding of what had taken place and all of a sudden, what was once so great at the beginning of the movie that was broken about three quarters of the way through at the very end, they come back together and there's this restoration of a relationship and we all get happy and excited and some of us like me might shed a few tears and we're happy and we're happy for this fictional couple that we'll never actually know and who knows who they really are. But the thing is, we watch it and we, we love that story, right? That story resonates within us. It's like we love to see, and we almost love the suspense of a relationship that was meant to be and then a relationship that was broken. It looked like it had no hope and then the relationship was restored and that relationship that was meant to be at the beginning of the movie, now they go on and they do live happily ever after. And we see that happen and that is, I think there's a reason why many movies, books, TV shows, the Hallmark Channel, I believe that there's a reason why we see that common plot. And I think it's because our hearts as humans love the understanding that there is a relationship that has been broken that needs to be restored. And I would say today as we go to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to see the greatest story of a relationship restored. Uh, The greatest story... And it's not even a story in the sense that it's fictional. Obviously, this is a real-life story, a true-life story, and it is the best story of the the restoration of a relationship. You see, God created each and every one of us. He created the world. He created mankind. And when He created Adam and Eve, and when He created us, His intention was to have a perfect relationship with us. And he did. He walked in the garden. He talked with Adam and Eve. And things were the way they were meant to be. And that relationship was growing. And it was budding. And it was beautiful. And it was perfect. And then we all know the story as we go through Scripture. You go on through Genesis after creation. And God, in this perfect relationship, told Adam and Eve not to do one simple thing. And that was to go to this tree and don't eat of the fruit... Uh, everything else is yours, and Adam and Eve they decided, as we know the story eve went was was seduced by the serpent uh, that she was convinced that she needed to eat of this fruit, and her pride welled up, and she cared more about her pride and than she did about god 's god 's law and she broke the law and Adam was with her, and at the same time they partook of the fruit and they sinned against the God who had given them a perfect relationship, their creator who is walking in the garden with them. And from that point on in history, we see the effects of that first sin, that there has been a broken relationship with God, that there was a curse placed upon mankind and on this world that says there is now a problem, that relationship has been broken, that the relationship, the perfect relationship with God has been broken because of sin. Death has entered, the consequences of that sin, and it has separated us from God. That perfect relationship that we so need and so desire. But the beautiful thing is, is that God chose to step in and repair the relationship And that's what we're going to look at today as we go into Colossians chapter 1 and look at these last few verses. We're going to look at the fact that God decided to repair the broken relationship through Jesus Christ. That Christ is the great reconciler, the one who brings relationship restoration between God and man. And he is the one that's going to give us that happily ever after because he is the only one that can repair the relationship that has been broken between man and God. And we know this simply, too, as we've looked at what we've looked at so far in Colossians, that because Jesus is superior over all else, he is the first and foremost, he is in first place of all things, and therefore he has the power and the ability and the calling to be that one who can repair the relationship between God and man. And as we look at Colossians 1, we're going to see that this morning. If you turn to Colossians 1, verses 21 through 29, if you haven't already turned there, we'll be reading there in just a second. But before we do that, let's take a minute to remind ourselves of what we have read and learned from the first 20 verses of Colossians. From there, we will then look in more detail at what Christ has done to bring a restored relationship between us and God. So as we look at these first 20 verses, we, we remember that we're finding ourselves in the book of Colossians. This is a city, Colossae, that is on a major trade route. We've looked at that. There's a blending of beliefs that is happening in Colossae. There's, there's Christianity, there's Jewish belief, there's pagan belief, there's cultish practices, there's belief in angels. There's lots of things that are getting all mixed up in Colossae. And Paul now is writing to this Colossian church. And he's writing to them, and he's saying, look, remember that Christ is superior over everything else. He is the greatest and the most, and there is no reason for you to ever, ever add anything to your faith. And not only should you not, but you can't. You can't add things to Jesus because Jesus is superior. And that's what Paul is telling the Colossian church as they are facing this blending of beliefs and saying, well, I can take Jesus and this and that, and Jesus can be a part of the many ways that I can worship God, but Jesus isn't the whole thing. And Paul says, no, Jesus is everything. He is superior over all, and therefore nothing can be added. And so what we've seen in these 20 verses so far, we saw first Paul starts by thanking God for the Colossian church. He thanks God that the gospel has changed them that the gospel has led them to Christ and that Christ is the gospel. And then we saw that Paul also prays for the Colossians in light of the gospel and prays for them that they would learn more of God so that they could walk worthy in him. And that's the whole point, is that they would know Christ better. And then last week we saw that Paul moves then to say, look, I'm going to prove the supremacy of Christ. I'm going to show you why Jesus is greater than all, why Jesus is first place overall." all. And if you remember last week, if you were with us, what we were told in Colossians 1 is that Jesus is the Savior King. He is ruler over all, and he is saving us, and he has saved us. And he is, he is also the creator God. He has created everything, and he is God. There is, that is why he can be first place, because he is God himself. And then we finally saw him as the risen Lord, that he conquered sin and death through his resurrection. As a result, he is the Lord of not only uh, the world but he, of creation, but also Lord of the church, Lord of the new creation, the new person that we become, and that he is the Lord of the church. And as the Lord of the church and as the creator God and as the savior king, all of those things point to one very simple thing, and this is what Paul was saying last week, that he is first place, that he is first and foremost over anything and everything that we could ever add, and there is no reason that we can add anything to him as well. And then we looked at at the very end last week, we looked at uh, Colossians chapter one. Uh, we were looking here, uh, we finished in, in verse 20. And it says, "And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." And we see that one of the main things that we see is Jesus is first place, and he is overall, He is king, He is God and He is Lord. We see those things coming together, and it points us to the fact. Uh, that God, that he is reconciling. He is bringing peace. He is literally restoring the relationship that was broken. He is restoring the relationship of creation to himself. He is restoring the relationship of man to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what we see happening. And so that's where we've been. Uh, the first 20 verses have shown us with no question, no uncertain terms whatsoever, that Jesus is superior, he is God, and therefore we submit to him completely. And as a result, as we submit to him, he is bringing peace to the world. He's restoring the relationship that has been broken. So then we move on in in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verses 21. Please join me as we read. Colossians 1, starting in verse 21, we're going to be reading through the end of the chapter. And you who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... So Paul has been talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We saw that Jesus is bringing peace through his death, and now Paul moves on to prove in no uncertain terms that Jesus Christ has the power to reconcile the world, that he has the power to restore relationship, and he proves that by pointing, first of all, to the certainty of the reconciliation that has already happened with the believers. Uh, We see the certainty of reconciliation is our point one in verses 21 through 23. And here's a few things that we can see as we look at Colossians chapter 1. He says, look, uh, Jesus is first and foremost. He's reconciling all things to himself. He's bringing peace. And in case you are wondering if he can do that, let's remember what he's already done. And so we start by looking at the certainty of our reconciliation. The certainty of the fact that we have been restored to a right relationship with God. And so this is what we see. We first of all see in this passage, verses 21 through 23, we see that we start, we are at war with God. We were at war with God. That is what we are told here in verse 21. He says, uh, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So we are at war with God. First of all, we were alienated, or we were separated from God. We were separated from God. Back when that, that relationship was perfect, when sin entered the world, there was a real separation that happened. And God said, Now death has come to the world. And it's not just physical death, but it was also this relational separation that is spiritual death between God and man. And there's this divide now. And so Paul reminds us of that. And he says, Look, remember, you were once alienated, you were once separated from God, and you, you're. Your relationship was broken with God. And then he says, Not only that, but your mind, your thoughts were hateful to God. Hostile in mind is the way the ESV translates it. That we were hostile towards God, that we were hateful to God, that we hated God. Our broken relationship caused us to be in a place where we lived a selfish life and saying, What matters is what I want. I don't care what God wants. That's what happened at the very first sin, right? It was, Hey, I'm going to do something that will benefit me. I don't care what God has said. And that has continued on throughout the ages. That we have made selfish choices that have served ourselves instead of served the God who created us. And we have been hateful to him in our thoughts, in our mind, that the way our natural way is is that we hate God because we love ourselves too much. That is the point. And so he says, you have been separated from God and, and you... We're hateful to God. And then he wants to kind of say, hey, and by the way, if you don't believe that you're hateful to God, our hatred was seen through the evil actions. Our hatred was seen through our evil actions. It says here in ESV, doing evil deeds. And what Paul is saying here, and remember, when Paul writes, a lot of times he he takes one phrase and then he explains that phrase a little bit more. And I think this is happening here. He's saying we're alienated and hostile. And and he says, well, what does that look like? Well, you're doing evil deeds. And what he says is there was a time in which you were separated from God, you hated him, and you saw that you hated him by the way you acted. That your evil actions showed your heart. Our evil actions showed our heart to say, God, I care about myself, I love myself too much to care about you, and therefore we hated him in our mind, and therefore the way we live showed that. The way that the natural man without the work of Christ, which we'll talk about in a minute, operates and works, is that we only desire what's best for us. We care about ourselves first and foremost. Even when we pretend, or not even pretend, even when we think we are serving someone else, if it's not through Jesus Christ, there's always some kind of ulterior motive that brings it back to our selfishness. And we see that we love ourselves, and God says we are at war. That we were at war with God. We were separated, hateful, and we did evil deeds. But then the good news comes, because Paul says that. Remember, that was who you were. But he says in 22, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so Paul says, look, this is what you were. You were alienated. You were separated. You were hateful. You were doing evil deeds. And he says, but now, now you are reconciled. The idea of reconciliation is to bring peace or to repair a relationship. That's what reconciliation means. If you've read that word before and you're not exactly sure what it is, it's the restoration of a relationship. It is bringing peace. And that is what is happening. So now we see we were at war with God, but now we have peace with God. We were at war with God, we now have peace with God. And a couple things we can see through this passage. First of all, we see that it is done. We have peace with God. We don't have to work for peace with God. This is an interesting concept as you look through scripture. Uh, When Christ and everything he was, when he gave his life for us, when we receive the benefits of what he has done, it is done. It is not something that we have to work for. It is something that he has done, he has accomplished. Remember on the cross, it is finished, it is paid in full. The idea here as we continue to see this is that we are now reconciled. Not someday you'll be reconciled if you work hard enough to show God that you want to be peaceful with him. If you, if you are selfless enough, then uh, you will earn the right to become a friend of God. No, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, through faith, he's already talked about faith in the gospel. Remember back to the beginning of chapter one. Through the faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that now there is a, they are at a point, and we are at a point, in which we have already been given peace with God. It is already done. He looks at us and he sees us not as an enemy, but he sees us as a friend. He sees us... On his side and not against him any longer. Even when we make bad choices, even when we do selfish things, God still sees us no longer as an enemy. We have peace with God. See, Christ's death appeased God's righteous demands of sin. We had all sinned, we had been selfish, we had gone our own way, but we're told here that the reason we're reconciled or how we are reconciled is by the fact that Christ died for us he gave his life on the cross he sacrificed himself he substituted himself for our sins and why he did that was so that we could be restored into a right relationship with him and so then we see with all that happening that it has been done and it's through christ's death then we see something very awesome has happened here and that is that as we have peace with god our position has been changed our position has changed you see, we see this change that Paul talks about here. And first of all, remember, he says, you were once alienated and hostile and doing evil deeds. And now he says three things have replaced that as a result of the reconciliation that Jesus had offered. And that is that now we are going to be presented as holy, blameless, and above reproach. See how things have changed. From an enemy that is going to... is opposed to God now to someone who is being changed into the very likeness of God holy blameless uh, and above reproach that we are becoming more and more like him and it's the it's this opposite idea that we were once estranged from him and now we are coming closer to him and that's what he says here so we were at war with God we now have peace and that peace has caused our lives to be changed. That he is changing us into holy people, set apart for him, set apart for what is holy and right. He is, uh, we no longer have any condemnation. We are not blamable and we are above reproach in his sight. He does not look at us and see all the mistakes we made. He does not look at us and say, uh, I'm going to chalk this one up against you and I'm going to keep records of all the wrongs you've done, and I'm going to throw it in your face someday. That is not what God is about. He is working to work in our lives to get rid of those evil deeds, to get rid of our selfishness, not uh, for any other reason other than this: way. he can make us holy and receive the glory as we are seen to be more and more like him. And so we see right now that the certainty of reconciliation is there. We were at war, but now we have peace. And then he goes on uh, and talks a little bit about, okay, so if we've been changed... If we have peace, we're not at war anymore, then how do we live in peace with God? How, does that, how do we live that out? So we're going to see how we live in peace with God as he goes on here in chapter 1. It says in verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. The fact that we have been given peace and we are no longer at war with God, the first thing Paul says that's going to mean, it says that we're going to continue in our faith. Now this if word here can be uh, misunderstood. And I don't know what your translation might say, but uh, as you look at the Greek and as you look at many commentators, this if here would be better translated since. And, and, And that's very easy to do, actually, if you look at the Greek. Since... Uh, we, since we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, here's what Paul is saying. He is expecting the fact that because we have peace with God, it is expected and normal and it is the way it is that we will continue in our faith. In other words, this is not a text that some people have used to say, well, look, if you stop following Jesus, then you're no longer saved. What Paul is saying is if you are saved, you will follow Jesus. That is one and the same. As we look at this, you're going to continue in your faith. Your faith won't fail because remember, where does faith come from? Faith comes from Christ. And if Christ is superior over all else and we say, hey, we can lose our salvation, then we're saying that the one who is first place has failed. We're saying that Jesus, the Sovereign One, who is over all, has failed us because we no longer are kept. And that is not the truth. And and what we see here is what Paul is understanding is very simple. If we have peace with God, if we have truly been saved and we've truly been reconciled to Him, then we will see that our faith will continue. Our peace leads to continued faith in Christ. That even when the tough times come, we will find faith, not through our strength, but through His. We will also see that our peace leads to perseverance. We get this from the stable and steadfast part. The same idea, that our peace will lead to our perseverance, that we will persevere through life in our faith as a result of our reconciliation with God. And finally, our peace leads to an enduring hope. We see here what it says, not shifting uh, from the hope of the gospel that you heard. That as we know that we're reconciled and we know that God has reached down and repaired the relationship, now we can have enduring hope that can't be shaken. That we can hope and have an expectation in knowing that our life is in Christ and therefore we are taken care of and eternity with him is assured and we have hope that cannot be shattered. And so if we are reconciled with God, which we have already been seen that has happened, we were at war and through faith we have peace. And as we have peace, then it will continue in our lives. And so we see that we are certainly reconciled. So our reconciliation to God is certain, that much is true. We just saw that. But Paul also wants to assure us in this passage that not only is it true for us, but that reconciliation is being seen through his people. That reconciliation is being circulated to everyone. So as we continue into point two, we see, first of all, we saw the certainty of reconciliation. Now we see the circulation of reconciliation. And this very simple truth from 23 to 28 is that this, the gospel of Christ is for all the world. The gospel of Christ is for all the world. We see that here at the end of verse 23. It talks about the gospel. The hope of the gospel says, "...which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." The gospel has been proclaimed in all creation. Now, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that every single person in all the world at all time has heard the gospel. We know that's not true. But what Paul is getting across here is that the gospel is no longer just for one people group. The gospel that Jesus comes, He is there to save the whole world. The scope is that the whole world is available to be saved, to be reconciled through Christ. Everyone has the opportunity to be reconciled and have their relationship repaired with God. And so it's going to be circulated. The gospel of Christ is for all the world, for all peoples. It's not just for a certain group of people. It's not just for the good people or a certain ethnicity. No, Paul says the gospel of Jesus Christ is available and open to anyone who will accept it in faith. And so we know that to be true. As we look at this, we also see then that God, as He circulates this message of reconciliation, He is using men to be ministers of reconciliation. He is using men to be reconcilers reconcilers of, uh, of, um, or ministers of reconciliation. And so we see that here in Paul, because Paul says right here, uh, in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Later on, he says in verse. uh, 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And so we see that God is using people. God is using people to minister reconciliation. Paul was a minister for Christ. We see in this passage uh, that he was willing to suffer. In verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, that in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul says, I am willing to suffer to share the news of reconciliation. And so as we continue on in verse 23 and twenty-three through 28, let me just read that whole passage starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, and I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of, uh, that, from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but it has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known the great, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ." And so as we look at that whole passage, what we see is that God is using people. And and Paul was willing to suffer, and he had a God-given responsibility to make the word of God fully known. A God-given responsibility to make the word of God fully known. Now, what is the word of God fully known? Think in context of Colossians. Paul's ministry is to preach Jesus Christ. And we see that here it says, "In Him we proclaim that the mystery of Christ in you is what He proclaims." That Paul is a minister of Jesus, and He is preaching Jesus, and we should do the same. As a quick bunny trail, if you will, uh, I want everybody. We were here last week, but I want to go over to Second Corinthians. If everybody would turn with me to Second Corinthians, chapter five, verses eighteen through twenty. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 talks more about reconciliation. And I, I feel like we couldn't talk about the reconciliation that is talked about in Colossians without going to 2 Corinthians. And so we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to make a few points as we look at verses 18 through 20. Second Corinthians five, eighteen through twenty says this. And actually I'm going to back up to seventeen. In 17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is the new creation that we've been promised. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you then on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we see this truth, not only in Colossians, but now we also see it in 2 Corinthians, that we are ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of Christ. The message of peace is for us to share. The message of a restored relationship is for us to share to the world around us. Now, I came to this interesting idea as I was studying this and reading some ideas. The idea of ambassador. Now, a lot of times, uh, you've heard this verse before, we are ambassadors for Christ. And a lot of times people will say, what does that mean? Well, an ambassador is a representative. An, amb- an ambassador represents a country to another country, if you know how that works. And, and that is a very true statement. Uh, but in the context of what this passage is talking about, it's talking about God making peace with the world, Here's an interesting thing to think about as an ambassador. Uh, when an ambassador is in another country, from our country, let's just use that as an example, and war happens, and there is war in the country that that ambassador is in, what, is, what do we usually do? We get them out of there. Pull them out. Uh, and I thought, you know what an ambassador really is? An ambassador is in another country to restore and maintain peace. Right, because they're our representative, and we're saying, "Hey, we're we're, we're giving you—you're going to this country, and you're our representative." Yes, but you are also a representative of peace—that there is peace between us. Because if there wasn't peace, then you wouldn't be there. And that's kind of the idea: is that an ambassador not only is a representative of our government and of our country, but an ambassador is almost a symbol of peace—that peace is happening between one nation to another nation. And see, as ambassadors, we are keepers of the peace. You see, peace has been offered to this world, and we are messengers of peace. So we are in this world as representatives of Jesus Christ, absolutely, but we are representatives of the peace that he has offered to this world. That he has said, look, I, am, I have done what it takes to restore the relationship that was once broken, and through my church and through my people, I want them to show that peace is real and peace is possible. So we are people of peace. We are ministers of peace. We are speakers of peace. The message of peace is ours to share, that God is sharing it through us, and that is the truth we see in Second Corinthians chapter 5. And so we see that God is using people to circulate the message of reconciliation. And finally, we've already mentioned this going back to Colossians, we see that Christ is being preached. We see that as everything is circulating, what is being preached, it's It's him. It's Christ. It says, him we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus Christ. Remember, he is the essence of the gospel. All the gospel is Jesus Christ, and it all relates back to him. And therefore, we preach Christ, and that is the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is Christ, that we share Christ with the world around us, the Christ who saved us, the Christ who is first place, the Christ who who is superior over all, that is what we share. That Christ has come to mend the relationship because he is the greatest, he is the most, he is first place, he is superior. And therefore, he can save the world and bring peace. And that is the message that we bring. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's not a cute presentation, it's not uh, anything like to make the world better by doing good deeds. Those are all good things. But no, we share Christ. That is what we share through the way we live, through the way we talk. We share Christ. The word of God that Paul is making fully known is the mystery of Christ, as we see in this passage. And Christ living in people is the hope that we are to share. Christ living in us. Remember what Paul says here. He says, He uh, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ living in us, Christ taking over our lives, that is the mystery. That is the hope that we have and that is the message that we bring. And so we see so far that we have certainly been reconciled and, and we are circulating the message of reconciliation And God has made reconciliation possible for all and has chosen to use us to share this message. But it doesn't just stop there. Because once we understand the certainty of a reconciliation and the circulation of it as well, we must also see that there is a continuation of reconciliation. That there is, as we are reconciled, it doesn't just end when we've made peace, okay, now we move on and it's forgotten. Or yeah, we're sharing it, but for us it doesn't really matter anymore. We're just sharing it with the people who need it. We don't need it anymore. But actually Paul goes on as he talks about his own ministry and what he's going to say is no reconciliation is a continual thing that yes you are reconciled yes you have been brought peace but live it out and the way that we live it out is the continuation of reconciliation As kind of to start off with we see like we already just talked about first of all we are to proclaim Christ above all else that is how we continue reconciliation The process of it in our own minds and in our own hearts is we preach Christ to ourselves. We preach Christ to one another. We preach Christ to those who don't know him and we preach Christ. We talk Christ. We live Christ and that is what we are called to do. Everything revolves around him and so we should live that way and we proclaim him when we do that. We proclaim him to the world around us. We proclaim him to one another. We proclaim him even to ourselves when we look to him above all else. It also continues as we see that the proclamation of Christ leads to spiritual maturity. The proclamation of Christ leads to spiritual maturity. This is where we see here in chapter 1, back here in verse uh, 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So we see here, that the proclamation of Christ, when Christ is proclaimed, what happens? It leads to spiritual maturity. So as we proclaim Christ to ourselves, we also grow and we become more and more like him. That we live out the reconciliation that has been given to us. We see that the proclamation of Christ, it's a warning. It's also a teaching. So it is a warning. It is teaching. And ultimately, those things together give us wisdom. So first of all, a warning. Practical counseling. Um, in other words, when he says a warning here, it's the word for exhortation. Uh, and it's, it's the idea of, I am going to personally work with you to help you to see what you're doing that is against God, and you're going to turn it around, and you're going to live for him. It's a practical idea. like This is what you need to be doing. So we warn people and say, look, you need to live a life that is different. And we, we look to the practical way we live things out. But also it involves teaching doctrinal instruction because we don't know how to live until we know what to believe and so they go together we teach what we teach people and proclaim to people what is true the belief that we have in Christ and everything about him and then we say now that you believe and know Jesus then how do we live and and so we see that warning and teaching go together like this and as we look at the practical idea of uh of warning and we look at the uh, doctrinal idea of teaching they come together we see doctrine meet practice and that leads to maturity and that's what i would call wisdom wisdom is when you know enough from scripture you know enough of christ that you live out what you know and they blend together it's not only what you know it's also how you live and it's not just how you live it's what you know they blend together and so as we continue reconciliation this is what we are called to do With one another, we are called to warn one another. We are called to warn ourselves. We are called to teach one another. We are called to teach ourselves. And as we do those things, then we will find ourselves having wisdom and leading to maturity, Christ-likeness. And as we think about all of this, Paul wants to remind us of one important thing in verse 29, and this is what he says. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful verse. And it has meant so much to me this week, it's meant so much to me as I I've, I've read this verse, and this is the first time I really saw this verse, how beautiful this really is. Because what Paul says is, look, the continuation of reconciliation, living in peace, proclaiming Christ and teaching people and warning people and, and teaching and warning ourselves and living Christ and preaching Christ is hard work. It's hard. He says, I toil, struggling. He says, I, I mean, the, the picture is, is Paul is working his tail off. He is working, and he is working and working so that people can know Christ. And he says it's hard. He's struggling. Just think of that picture, to struggle against something. like he is, It is hard work that he is willing to do, but here is the beautiful part of this verse. He says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. What Paul says is, yes, it's hard work. It's hard work to proclaim Christ. It's hard work to keep him first. It's hard work to remember our reconciliation and to live in light of our reconciliation and to teach others how to live in light of the reconciliation. But he says that hard work that we do, we work hard. We're not lazy. We work hard, we toil, we struggle. But we only do that through the strength that God has given us. And so all that we've talked about today The fact that we've been reconciled, that God wants to share that through people, and that we need to be the ones to share that and live it out. That is a truth that we see developing here through Colossians, but Paul wants us to remember at the end of this passage the one truth. All of this is not possible without the strength of God. All of this is not possible without God working through and in us. That as hard as we work, it's nothing without his strength. Paul says, I work hard not in my own strength, but in his And so today, as we think about the proclamation of reconciliation, that we are proclaiming Christ to the world around us. We're proclaiming Christ to one another. We are proclaiming Christ to ourselves. That is hard work that we need to toil and and struggle with and do and work hard at. But remember that the strength that we have to do it isn't of ourselves. It is through and of him. And so we come and we throw ourselves before him and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own but I'm going to work as best I can and I'm going to trust that you're going to take me the rest of the way because that's all that can happen. And, and so we, it is very possible for us to understand this reconciliation, to live it out, to preach it to others because it's through his power that it happens. So today we have seen that reconciliation is certain. It has also circulated throughout the world and that if we continue to live in the reconciliation, that we need to continue to live in the reconciliation of our relationship with God. But let's ask a few questions as we close about how this might work out in our lives. Well, the first question, as we've talked every time we've come to Colossians, is this Have you accepted the peace with, that God has offered to you through Jesus Christ? Are you sitting here today and are you still at war with God? Are you still hostile? Are you still living for yourself and living in a selfish way and you don't even regard God at all in your life and your mind is hateful towards Him and it's seen in the way that you're acting? Maybe you've even come to church all your life, or maybe you've said a prayer when you were a little kid, but where you are right now, right today, you say, look, I am hostile to God. I am alienated. I am separated from Him, and I can see that by the way I'm living, and I know that I'm not where I need to be, and my relationship with God is broken. If you see that that's where you are at, and God is bringing that to your mind, understand that all we have to do is come to Him in faith and say, Jesus... I want this peace. I don't want to be an enemy any longer. I want to be a friend. I want to I want you to use me. I want you to love me. I want to be I want to be yours. And you're at that point and say I want to restore that relationship. I'm tired of it being broken. I want it to be restored. You come to him in faith and you believe in him. You believe in everything that he's done, all that he is, all that he says he is, and we believe in him. And as we do that, it causes repentance in our life as we, as we turn away from ourselves and we turn towards Jesus and we say, I'm going to live for you. Out of my faith, out of my trust in you, I'm living for you. And then we have a restored relationship with Jesus. And each and every one of us can have that relationship And each and every one of us can be restored if we will only come to him in faith and ask him for that restoration. Ask for forgiveness. Admit that we're a sinner, that we can do nothing to save ourselves and come to Jesus Christ and say, everything I have is yours. That is the gospel. That he died, he rose again, he lived a perfect life first before all that so that he could die for you, rise again to defeat sin and death. And he says, now if you want to have a relationship restored with the God who created you, come to me. That's what Jesus says and take him seriously and make today the day that you come to him. A couple other questions for the rest of us. Are you sharing the message of reconciliation with those around us? Are you proclaiming Christ? Are you proclaiming Christ? Are we proclaiming Christ in the way we live, in the way we talk, in the way we think, in the way we, re- we relate to one another? Is every part of our lives proclaiming Christ to this world who desperately needs peace? And then finally, are you living in light of the peace that we have with God? Are you living in light of that? Are you working hard to proclaim him? Are you working hard to rely on him? And these are the things we need to ask ourselves as we look at Colossians. We see very clearly through Colossians 1, Jesus is first and foremost. It is the gospel that is everything that we need to be driven back to Christ over and over and over again. He is everything to us. He should be everything to us and therefore we proclaim him wherever we go. That we are the ministers of reconciliation. He has brought peace. He has restored our relationship. Just like those movies and just like those stories that we love so much, a broken relationship has been mended and it is the greatest story of reconciliation ever to be told because it's the only true story that has all that we need to have is that peace has been restored because God sent Christ to take our place and to restore that relationship. So if you haven't accepted that, make today the day you do. If you're not sharing that, ask God what you can do to share it better. And if you're not living in light of that reconciliation, fall on him and rely on him for his strength to help you to do all that. Here's where the rubber meets the road. In light of our reconciliation and Christ being superior over all else, then our lives will proclaim him to the world around us. It's that simple and yet that hard all at the same time. It's a simple message, but it's hard to deliver, but we can do it through the strength of God and God alone. Please join us as we sing one more song this morning.